0: into the net by Kylian Mbappé Oh Benyera, beautifully done Cornet finds Dembele the first touch is good, the second is deadly Neymar still Oh my word, what a goal Golevin, lovely finish Oh yes, delivery again, head header Here's an opportunity, Sanchez Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta He's playing again And back Messi again This time maybe Messi's done it
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back after a huge World Cup for Ligue 1 Uber Eats stars. This is Le Bourgeois, and this is what's coming up in this week's podcast. We've got PSG, we've got Marseille, we've got a bit of Deja Vu, we've got some World Cup chat, and also the definitive GOAT discussion. I'm delighted to say that I am joined on the pod today by Andy Scott and Luke Entwistle, so we'll be getting into all of the action very shortly. Uh don't forget you can find us on Twitter at Ligan World. You've also got Ligan underscore E-N-G. Uh you can also email us, at LiganPodcast at gmail.com. Website, of course, com. So remember, like, subscribe, follow, recommend. Andy Scott, how are you doing? How was uh, Christmas? Did you manage to to make it uh back home
2: for a few days? Uh yeah, I I I did. Thanks, Jonathan. Yeah, I did get back to the UK for a couple of days, but I was but I was back in Paris by Boxing Day um because of the the return the early return of ligand so it, w- it was a short break for me i'm just kind of mixing uh ligand football with with sleeping at the moment because um the, the world cup very much took it out of me so um yeah I'm, I'm still recovering from that really i think many of us are uh still recovering
1: from it luke how are you doing last time uh we chatted i think you were you were back in the uk you're back in france now are you uh you're still over there uh, in the UK for the festivities?
3: I've been back to France and now back in the UK and getting ready to go back to France again. So, very back and forth, an hour earlier here. So, still dark outside, which is classic kind of uh, British, kind of uh, horrible winter time where it just never gets light. But uh, happy to be back and kind of like Kylian Mbappe, who returned after only a couple of days after the World Cup and craving that return of, of Ligue and football as a, a welcome distraction.
1: You are straight back into training for this episode of Le Beaujeu. We love to hear it. Well, of course, if you are not detecting an Aussie twang in my voice, that's because I'm Jonathan Johnson, and I will be the host filling in for Robbie Thompson today. So let's get right into it, guys. And first of all, we will start off with PSG. who are at home to Strasbourg at Parc des Princes, and it was our own Andy here on comms.
0: What can Paris Saint-Germain do then? From this free kick Marquinhos forward Neymar will deliver it well it's a really inviting area and it's turned in by the captain Marquinhos a goal with a Brazilian accent to it and Marquinhos who is approaching a decade as a Paris Saint-Germain player with a terrific run get in between the Strasbourg defenders, attacking that delivery from Neymar and opening the scoring. Thomason playing across uh, the face of goal and into the net. Strasbourg are back on level terms. Well, they had threatened a couple of times late in the first half. And now, they have got the equalizing goal thanks to Adrian Thomason robbing Marco Verratti on the edge of the uh, Paris Saint-Germain penalty box and looking to play that across the face of goal. It took a crucial touch off Marquinhos to beat Gianluigi Donnarumma. And the Paris Saint-Germain captain having scored the opener in the first half. It's an own goal from the Brazilian which makes it 1-1. Neymar holding off, Andriano Tomasolton giving away the free kick for the arm in the face of the Strasbourg players, a yellow card for the Brazilian. Mbappe for Neymar, Neymar goes to ground and the referee is not going to give anything. And it's a second yellow card for the Brazilian for simulation. Two yellows in uh, the space of a couple of minutes and Neymar is sent off here. Alexander Jiku comes to meet him. and uh, Neymar, well he does fall down very easily indeed. There is uh, no obvious contact between them at all. card slipping, it's a really good game tonight but this could cost his team. Mbappe into the middle he brought down, it's going to be turned in by Marquinhos. Well, the referee had already blown his whistle. And uh, that is a controversial moment. But either way, Paris Saint-Germain have the chance to win this game right at the death. And it's thanks to that man, Kylian Mbappe. Kylian Mbappe to win it for Paris Saint-Germain, he does so. He goes to the keeper's left. He finds the back of the net. It had to be him, Kylian Mbappé, the match winner, and Paris Saint-Germain with ten men have beaten Strasbourg here, right to the death.
1: All right, guys. So obviously, Kylian Mbappé, more heroics goals, late penalties. So it's it's becoming a bit of a, a trend now. I mean, it's quite impressive that Mbappe has managed to, uh, you know, turn himself into this clutch penalty scorer when, you know, it was only just a bit more than a year ago that we were discussing whether or not he should have that responsibility at all from the penalty spot with the French national team after the Euros. Andy, what do you, what do you make of this, this new mature Kylian Mbappe who's, uh, you know, returned to France pretty much to, to a hero's welcome for everything that he achieved at the World Cup? I mean, obviously you were there. And mm-hmm. do you think he's you know somehow added to you know this uh, this aura, this reputation that he's been building for himself over the last couple of years?
2: Yeah, I think so. i think I think the thing about the World Cup is that obviously it was Lionel Messi's moment um you know to 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 go down as as arguably the greatest, um obviously with with respect to the great Pele who passed away uh, last night. but you know Messi winning the World Cup was his moment, but at the same time. It was also sort of killing Mbappe's tournament because of that. It wasn't just the final. I mean, he was he was very impressive in the early games as well. And, and then he scored that incredible hat trick in the final. I mean, just just incredible to to do what he did under such pressure. I know two of the goals were from the penalty spot, but to 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 maintain your your uh calm in, in that situation and score twice against Emiliano Martinez and particularly in the one hundred and eighteenth minute to 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 save France at that point. It's incredible for a for a kid who's who who had who didn't turn twenty four until a couple of days later, so you know the maturity that he has shown the the leadership i mean there, there's so many examples of it It's not just the fact he scored the goals it's the fact that when when the, the two France players who missed from the spot in the shootout you know Chouameni and kuman he was there to he he came forward to comfort them as they returned to the the halfway line to join their teammates and this real sense that mbappe although he is not the captain of the French national team, he is the leader um he is the he is the superstar who has very much emerged he is the main man and he is going to be the the prominent player in world football for for years to come and then he comes back to paris and 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 he does what what, what he did at the end of the game i mean um, you know he he didn't actually have a a a fantastic game against strasbourg obviously he had a few chances in that match but there was just this sense of inevitability that as as the game came towards the very end in stoppage time that he would get the chance and, of course, he wins the penalty. And then there was no doubt he was going to stick the penalty away. And it comes with Lionel Messi being absent because, naturally, he's he's taken the the the, the opportunity to rest afforded to him, unlike Kylian Mbappe. And, well, he celebrates that World Cup winner. And, and with Neymar being sent off uh, for, for a second yellow card for, for diving in the second half. And, therefore, you're left with Mbappe as the main man. And he steps up and 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 listen i mean we we've been speaking i think you go back to the world cup in 2018 almost and you say that mbappe had had come through as 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 the main man in in paris and now as the years have gone by it's it's become the sense that of course he is the main man ahead of messi and neymar he's he is the man of the years to come he is going to be the superstar and we've just seen further confirmation of that in the last in the last couple of weeks you know and and, he is he he has just has this aura about him, and and you know it was inevitable. He was gonna he was gonna be the 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 savior against Strasbourg.
1: Yeah, and speaking of inevitability, Luke, I'm going to come to to you on this one. I mean, Neymar getting sent off. I mean, you know, there was a lot of debate about sort of whether Neymar's decision to to rejoin PSG training just after Kylian Mbappe came back, you know, was actually sort of dictated by the fact that he and Marquinhos saw. Uh, Mbappe and Hakimi, uh, you know, rocking up to PSG training just a couple of days uh, after getting back from the from the World Cup. But you know, like uh, Andy said, you've got Neymar sent off for two bookings. I know Christophe Galtier sort of came out in Neymar's defence regarding maybe the first booking and the fact that Neymar always seems to be the the subject of quite hefty treatment from Strasbourg whenever PSG go up against them. But do you think there's also maybe an element of sort of, you know, a bit of World Cup frustration, maybe, uh you know, a bit of a hangover there? Because in terms of his play up until he got sent off, you know, he assisted Marquinhos for the opening goal. Personally, uh, you know, from my view in the stadium, I didn't think that he actually, you know, looked... As sluggish as I might as as I suspected he might.
3: I mean, yeah, you touched on all the big points there before those two yellows, which both of which, by the way, I I do think were very very clear yellows, and it's nice to see simulation properly punished, um, because very often it is not. Um, but up until that point, he was he was playing very very well, which was a kind of surprise because a lot was made of how difficult Neymar has found it to overcome that defeat, and how difficult Marquinhos, by the way, who maybe isn't quite in the same limelight as Neymar is for for understandable reasons but he reportedly stayed in in Qatar for days and days he couldn't kind of digest as you say over here the penalty miss uh, against Croatia so I think a lot is rightly made of how they're going to come back and what kind of mental state they're going to come back but I I think the positive there were positive signs there for Neymar who was arguably the best player on the pitch until uh, about the hour mark Uh, so It's hard to say exactly what the dynamic will be like when all of the three pieces are back together, when Messi, Mbappe and Neymar are all back together, because it's three quite big egos. And and that can really kind of shift when you've got all those pieces back together. And obviously Messi is the player who won it, who who won the prize that all three of them coveted so much. So him fitting back into that PSG side early in the new year will, will be interesting to see how it looks then.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Andy, I mean, obviously you've got PSG going away to Lance next, suddenly being without Neymar. Do you think Mbappe is going to be relishing, uh, you know, sort of this, uh, you know, this talismanic challenge now that he has in such a big game? Because obviously it's a, it's a top two clash in Ligue 1. So, you know, they don't come much bigger than this. And it's a very, very difficult place to go as well. Lance, uh, you know, we've we've waxed lyrical about them all season. Uh, you know, this one feels like, I don't know it's maybe made for for, for Mbappe to sort of have his statement post World Cup performance, certainly an improvement on what we saw against Hasbro.
2: Well if he can score a hat trick in a World Cup final and and be only the second player ever to do that, then I don't think a trip to 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 Lance on New Year's Day is gonna is gonna intimidate him in any way. It's gonna be a cracking game that one. I mean it's it's always a tremendous atmosphere up there and it'll be a full house and, and and all the rest of it. Um and a chance of psg to move 10 points clear after after the results uh well i'm sure we'll touch on Lance, but you know the the loss failing to win and psg getting that result and and by the way it just shows you how how these things can turn because had psg not got that late winner and had Lance perhaps managed to get three points down in nice i know we're dealing in hypotheticals here but the gap would have been just three points and Lance would have had the chance to go level with them with a win on sunday but instead we're looking at a situation where psg have the chance to go 10 points ahead. They, this this is the kind of game that mbappe relishes of course and um the absence of neymar and uh, and messi as well and that when i presume messi's going to be absent unless he makes a sudden late, uh, early return to training as well of course that puts even more of the focus on on mbappe and, and it raises questions about who is going to play alongside mbappe in, in in the paris attack in that game um but listen i mean i think i think you know just to to touch on what you were saying about neymar as well i think it's an interesting thing because i mean personally They've um, so spent five weeks in 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 Qatar covering the World Cup. It's absolutely exhausting. It's draining, and you know you come back from it completely, you know, shattered, in need of a rest, and and wondering when you're going to be back on top form again. And to see Mbappe do that, to come back from from Qatar last Monday, to be standing on the on the balcony of the hotel Crayon, the Place de la Concorde, with the rest of the France team, you know, greeting the the, the 50,000 France fans who were there to to welcome the team home. He had the next day off for his 24th birthday. And then on Wednesday, he was back in training. Now, that obviously shows you something about the mentality of the guy. He is he is a relentless character. He is so hungry for more. He has this insatiable appetite for for football. But eventually, it's going to catch up with him. And he's going to have to have a rest at some point. Now, he will play this weekend. And the suggestion, uh, I think you, you will agree, Jonathan, from, from what christophe Galtier said, is that he will get a rest in the, the Coupe de France next weekend. But then there is there's another round of league matches the following midweek. So you're probably looking at just a few days off for Killian next week. Um now I know he's a young kid still, even though he's just turned 24, but at some point he's gonna to have to have a proper rest. And I don't know if this will catch up with him in the next few weeks or months, but at some point in the years to come this might catch up with him. Whereas Neymar, you know, is now thirty, getting a little bit older, maybe maybe could have done with a slightly longer rest. But yeah, as, as you say, perhaps he was influenced by seeing Killian returned to training sooner and he decided to come back too. So listen, the, the dynamic in the second half of the season at Paris Saint-Germain is going to be fascinating because because, you know, how how is it all gonna work with Messi coming back in? How are the three of them gonna to, gonna to get on together? And um it's gonna be a fascinating few months for the club in general. Because once again, although the match at Lawrence is huge in the context of the title race, that the match that everybody is thinking about in the back of their minds is is a certain Champions League Tigers Bayern Munich, and that is just about six weeks away. So the next few weeks will be really interesting to see um, to see what the dynamic is like at the club, what the fitness issues are like at the club. You know, is Mbappe gonna gonna remain fit? Is injury gonna catch up with them? Who knows? I mean, these are all things that are gonna be really interesting to watch over the next few weeks. Yeah, absolutely. And it's uh
1: just a, to tie a bow on uh on PSG Strasbourg. It's been <clears throat> a, a sad couple of weeks, I think, for for football with uh, you know, so many losses, seemingly left, right, and center. You had Johan Amel. The, uh, the the referee, uh, you know, passing away towards the end of the year. Uh, he was, uh, you know, they they paid homage to him with a with a minute of uh, of applause, which I believe was also the case at uh, at other games around Ligue 1. But moving on from Fr- French football's golden boy to another emerging star at Monaco, uh, Luke, we're we're going to delve into a bit of Laes Ben Seguir uh, in uh, in just a second. You know, he's he's seemingly come out of nowhere, this, this kid. I mean, aged seventeen years, three hundred and fifteen days, he's the second youngest player to score a brace for Monaco and Ligan after Thierry Henry back in nineteen ninety-five. Now, you know, stop me if you've heard this one before, but obviously, you know, Kylian Mbappe burst onto the scene with Monaco. Can you sort of give us the the rundown on, on Ben Seguir and, you know, sort of is is, is this a kid who's worth getting excited about in the same way that we got excited about Mbappe, uh, you know, five years ago or so.
3: Yeah, I mean, he's so kind of old-fashioned in some of the ways that he plays, but in only the very best of ways. You know, he's very, very good in tight spaces and tight little touches and and exquisite little dribbles, you know, like your old-fashioned kind of wingers or number 10s. He's got a bit of both about him. But yeah, I mean, he, he has come out of nowhere a little bit because at the start of the season, he was not in and around the first team. He was still in the academy. And I travelled to see him back uh, against Manchester United in November when he still hadn't pierced through into the first team. So that's in November. So we're talking only just before uh, this World Cup break. But he was great at Old Trafford. He has a proper eye for the Spectacular. And that curling effort, um, he tried to do that many times against um, Manchester United and it didn't come off. So he's got an eye for the Spectacular, but then he pulls it off, of course, on the big stage against the biggest stage. In his first professional league match against Auxerre, and in the last in you know the latter minutes in order to get a win, so that's a huge thing to do. But you know just for how young he is, I was at the inauguration of the club's uh, training centre, uh, youth training centre uh, down in, in Monaco just a few weeks ago, and seeing him in a school setting, you know at a work desk doing his economics, it's it's it gives you a proper reminder. Wow, this kid is extremely young. I know he said that if he's not going to be a footballer, he wants to get into a state agency, which <laughs> where does that passion come from so um but you know he soon works probably, that probably, and he's got, probably it. comes probably
2: comes from the the prices of property down in monaco and the, and the commission oh yeah you know. yeah
3: he, he sees the money seeing the money but um yeah i was, no, yeah, I was honestly, gonna say he, there's
1: de- there's definitely uh worse places that you can start off and getting your grounding in a in a, in a business
3: like that <laughs> yeah and and he knows the area as well he's a local boy he's, he's from just down the coast in for um but as you'll find out if you ever post about him on social media, you'll very soon find out that he's got Moroccan heritage, as, as all of the replies will just be filled with Moroccan flags, as I found out. Um. But yeah, also French used international, very exciting player, broken through very quickly, it feels. And to bring him on uh, in that situation um, was a bold move, you know, bringing him on at half time and counting on him to change the game, because Monaco were very, very, very poor in the first half. So it wasn't a let's give this kid a little 10-minute cameo and just show the world what he is. It's go out there and change the game. And just as just another one, just a week before that, he was at Leeds. And I think it, this is probably the game that got him that place in, in the squad against Oxford. Uh, he was absolutely brilliant and friendly against Leeds at, uh, at Ellen Road, best player on the pitch at uh, the full match. So very exciting. He's done it a couple of times before. Every time I've seen him, he's been phenom- phenomenal. So uh, a very exciting talent.
1: Yeah, really interesting to hear as well that he's got Moroccan heritage because considering their impressive performance at the World Cup and sort of a number of the star performers and their links uh, you know, with France and uh and Ligan, you know, perhaps uh, you know, Ben Seguir could be uh fast tracked into their senior setup after that World Cup success. But then again, uh, you know, maybe France will be alerted to the fact that uh, you know he could be snapped up quite early, and we see him equally. Uh, you know, fast track to the the senior level for for France. We will see. But also sticking with uh, Monaco, obviously they got that three two win uh, away at Auxerre. Andy, I'm going to come to you on this one because uh, you know the expectation is that Benoit Badiashile will probably be on the move. Uh, will be joining Chelsea. How big a loss would that be? Uh, you know, for uh, Le Monégasque, but also for Ligan 1. Uh, you know, if he were to go now, because. You know, Monaco, I mean, we'll touch on it again with Luke in a second, but, you know, they're kind of in that fragile uh, period at the moment where they're trying to get themselves back into the reckoning for, uh, you know, Champions League qualification. We've often seen them make a very fast start at the beginning of each year. But, you know, to lose such a significant piece like Bad Yashid, uh, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, could this adversely affect them uh, in their Champions League qualification hopes?
2: Um, well, I mean, I suppose in a way, uh, it'd be better to defer to Luke in terms of how how that's going to affect Monaco um, in terms of the way they set up and from game to game. I mean, if you look at the the the, the pure numbers, the 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 defender has played the most minutes in Monaco is Axel Dizassi, who's just coming back from the World Cup, um, where he, he came on in the final right at the end of extra time, which was obviously quite a a change for him because he was wasn't expected to be in the squad in the first place. Whereas Ben Ashil of course, made his debut for France in the UEFA Nations League at the end of uh, at the end of September. In a way, it's quite surprising that he was then overlooked when Didier Deschamps had to call up a late replacement in defence, and he went for Di instead. But uh, but that that shows you that 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 Monaco's defence is not just about Badia-Shield. I mean, there's also Guillermo Maripán. Um, they have Malençar too. And then the question is, you know, if if they lose badia does does Philippe Clement um, favour a, a four-man defence or a three-man central defence? You know, how does he adapt to that? So maybe that's something that Luke can answer. But I think as a, as a more general point, um, this is what happens in Ligue 1. Talented young players emerge, you know, we, we all know that. And, and they get whisked away to to supposedly bigger clubs in, in supposedly bigger leagues abroad when they're still quite young. And, and a player like Kylian Mbappe is an exception to the rule because he's still at Paris Saint-Germain at the age of 24 because of the the huge money they've thrown at him um, and 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 all the rest of it. So, you know, this this is what happens and Badia has been linked with a move to the Premier League for a while. I mean, if you go back to January um, midway through last season, there was a lot of talk, I think, of Newcastle coming in for him and then an injury, I think, uh, it sort of kiboshed that one at the time. Probably no bad thing. I mean, he's still a very young man and, and, and he could have done with staying on a little longer to help him develop at Monaco. He's a defender with huge potential, of course he is, and I expect to see him again in the French national team in in, in the future. But uh, I think Monaco, listen, they've had, a, they've had a bit of an inconsistent start to the season in some respects. We still expect them to come through despite maybe losing Badé-Shiel and, and, and other issues they might have. You'd expect them to feature prominently in the race for Champions League qualification, but it is going to be incredibly tight. I mean, there's so many contenders um, in, in that fight at the moment. You look at clubs like Lyon, who again, we'll talk about, can they catch up? So, Monaco need to make sure that they, even if they lose Badia shield they'll get a big fee for him. They need to make sure they're not they're not um, adversely affected uh, on on the pitch and and that they can cope with that because the defense has sometimes been a concern this season. They have so much attacking quality, um, but defensively they've been caught out in a few games. They've conceded a, a few too many goals. I mean, three two they won at there. but there have been some some high scoring encounters when they come out on the losing side. So, um, they need to work on their consistency. And um, yeah, they need to they need to deal with potentially losing a player like Badia Shield. But this is what this has been Monaco's business model for a while. They invest a lot of money in players, but they also tend to sell on um, their 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 most exciting talents, you know, before they perhaps reach their full potential. So it's it's a case of dealing with that and and moving on and finding the next
3: one. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Malang Sarr Is he's the, he's the kind of big question mark when he arrived on loan from Chelsea in the, in the summer? I kind of asked Paul Mitchell in a press conference. So is this the Badie Shield replacement? Because he plays in the same position if you're going to go for a back five or a back three, however you see it. He's going to play in that left centre-back role. And it kind of felt a little bit weird at the time that they were buying someone, um, loaning someone with an, op- with an obligation to buy if he played a certain amount of games in the exact position that Baddy Shield would play. And he said, no, he's not a replacement. But there was the impression that this was his final year. And Philippe Clement said, at the start of the season as well, you know, I, I spoke to Baddie Shield and I said, you know, you need another year to, to, to improve even further. But he's been around for years. I mean, he's only 21, but he's played 135 times at this point for Monaco. He's been around since the 2018-19 season. So he's been part of the furniture of this club for, for a long, long time. So it's, it's no small task to replace him. Saar has not impressed thus far since, he, since his ride from Chelsea on loan. So he has a big role now because I think, if he performs well, that gives the option for Monaco to play back three. Otherwise, I think you're looking at a back four until the rest of the season with Maripan and de Sassi. But I, I think I, it's, it's a good opportunity just to say how, how consistent and how good de Sassi's been this season. And obviously, he got that space in, in the France squad by, by surprise. I mean, I think the Ruben Aguilar injury at right back, which allowed him to play right back for a few weeks just before the World Cup, massively helped because with the shop squad, were preferring some kind of positional versatility. So he, he was the perfect fit. But I think if they lost Badishield in the summer, there'd be a bit more of a sense of panic. But since De Sassi has stepped up really massively this season in a big way, I think that there's this idea that, OK, we're going to get decent money, maybe not as much as he'd hoped, because I thought they'd, they'd probably get over 50. But there you go. Um, but I think that there would be more of a sense of panic if they'd lost him at the start of the season, as opposed to now, where you're looking at De Sassi and you're looking at Maripan, you're thinking, that, that's a good centre-back partnership for Ligue yeah
1: absolutely moving on now to Lyon uh, who were in action against Brest we had Angus Therode there witnessing all of the action
4: Cabra himself is a, still a relatively young man himself at the age of only 20 good ball Lacazette surely Maxon's Kakare opens the scoring on 20 minutes Well, in the end, it was all so simple for the 22-year-old, who scores his first goal of the campaign. Well, one can't say that Lyon don't deserve that. They've done much of the attacking. Perfectly timed run from the Lyon captain. Del Castillo standing over him, but it's uh, not him. that takes it! It's in! Deflection and in! Mathias Pereira-Large! With his first goal of the campaign, a couple of minutes after he sent the ball just past the bar, it's a great reaction to going behind from Brest. They've been on the attack ever since. Well, it's not so much the calm before the storm; it's the calm in the storm. Here at the Stade Francis Leblay, Lopez left absolutely shipwrecked. It feels like the Coupe de France has already started. End-to-end stuff at the moment from both sides. Maxon's Kakare now coming forward. Leon with another chance. Scherchi! 2-1. Seconds after having a yellow card brandished in his face. Rayan Scherchi puts Leon back in front. Lovely turn back inside of Brassier. Got it away before the arrival of Pereira-Lage. Leon on the uh, charge now, Carl Tokovi That ball a little bit wide for him. Comes up against Noah Fadiga, comes back inside, beats three men there. Maxon's Kakare, Toliso. This is good stuff from Leon now. Another ball in, way by Brasse. Here is Kakare, another deflection and a penalty. Brendan Chardonnay, the man throwing his way in front. And the captain is going to get up to find himself booked. Goodness me. This first half is running away with itself now. This to bring him into double figures. And it's easy for Alexandre Lacazette. Ten goals this season, a third penalty success of the campaign. And Leon now with breathing space against Brest. Well, they've been talking all week about how they need to Step it up. That's a good ball into the middle, and it's four! Couple of minutes into the second half, and Tete has stretched the lead to three goals. Goal number six for the Brazilian. And it has stunned the home crowd. Tete in from a shattered an S this season. has been one of the bright lights for Lyon in a stuttering season so far. It's a great ball in from Toko Ikombi on his return from the World Cup, and Tete took that beautifully.
3: 4-1
4: now to Lyon. Decent ball in once more! Oh, yes! Finally, the set-piece counts! And Steve Mounier finally gets his goal. He's had a hat-trick of chances, and he's finally taken one of them. Del Castillo, lovely delivery. That's a really well-aimed header by Mounier, up over the defense. Lopez, perhaps unsighted to start with, couldn't get there. And the deficit is down to 2-4. All
1: right, guys, so Laurent Blanc's Third win uh, as Leon coach, so his record now stands at three victories, two losses, and one draw. How did uh, you know Leon look coming off that World Cup break? You know, had uh, Laurent Blanc finally been able to to make a few of the changes that he'd been hoping to make after after coming in? Andy, what did you what did you make of uh, of Leon's performance here? Obviously, got the win, uh, you know, in fairly convincing fashion as well. Still conceding goals, but uh, you know. Looks a little brighter uh, going forward, and uh, you know there are some, there is greater involvement now from some players who you know perhaps looked like they were maybe on the fringes in the early days under Blanc.
2: Yeah, well, I must hold my hands up and say I was like you, I was at the party prance on on uh, on Wednesday night at the same time as that game has been played, so I've only seen the highlights. Um, but obviously, a very encouraging result for Lyon and a very encouraging first half performance in particular. Um, to go to Brest and win. I mean, this might sound like a cliche, but n- never an easy thing to do because of the the, the wind and the rain as much as anything, in, out there in Brittany. But they've, they, if if you take it over over the whole, I think they've had three wins and a draw in the last five games now, and uh, the exception is a narrow defeat down in Marseille, which you know which can happen. So there is there is an improvement in terms of results, which Laurent Blanc is seeing, but the, the he himself has has admitted that. Performances still need to improve considerably, and I think he'll be looking at at the January transfer window, um, hoping to to make some moves. I, I I think that again they've they've left themselves a lot of work to do in terms of catching up with the teams above them, and it will. That is the question: can they can they catch up? Can they develop the consistency, go on the run they need to 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 secure European qualification of some sort? Um of course, this game has played out to uh, the backdrop of the club. Finally being taken over by the American businessman John Texter and his his company, Eagle Football. John Texter, who's involved at Crystal Palace in England and, and has and has a controlling stake in Botafogo in Brazil. Um now he's he's coming at Lyon. So the 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 transition the end of the Jean-Michel Olas era after what thirty-five years of Olas being at the club now. Olas is still, of course, involved for the next couple of years, but then he will fully step aside. So there is, there is the sense of, of a new era really beginning now at Lyon. And, uh, and Laurent Blanc has had that time to work with the squad over the, the World Cup break. Guys, Alexandre Lacazette and Corentin Tolisso. Um, I don't know if we can call them former French internationals, but they're not involved with the the French national team these days. And so they weren't in Qatar. So the, the squad was largely kept together. Only a couple of players were away in in Qatar. So he had that time to work on the squad in a couple of, Friendly matches and and the the echoes we're hearing from these friendly matches not always encouraging. They were apparently pretty disastrous against the Italian team Monza just a few days before before the return of of of, of league So you know consistency's been the problem for Leon for a little while now, and um, that's the key. Can they develop that consistency? So they've got the victory uh, in in Brest, but now you know we're speaking here just a couple of days before the next round of games, and and they play Clermont at home on New Year's Day at the Groupama Stadium that is the kind of match that they absolutely have to be winning but it's also the kind of fixture in which they've tended as a club to slip up in, in recent seasons you know often dropping points at home against teams they should, they should be beating so you know um they, there's still a lot of work to do for Leon but we've said it for a long time the players there are are of a, a really high caliber and if Laurent Blanc can get the best out of them then they've got a they've got a chance of climbing into the European places which has to be the target yeah, absolutely. And yeah, uh, I mean, I think, uh,
1: Luca, well, I was going to come to you uh, uh, and ask you sort of that. There's obviously this um, competition within a competition or league within a league, uh, you know, for uh, a team to really consolidate that place behind PSG as the as, as you know, one of the, the, the dominant forces of, of French football. It was Lyon, uh, you know, for a, for a lengthy period of time. You know, that's kind of waned the last couple of years. But do you think now with the added clarity of, uh, you know, the takeover, like Andy said, it's still a squad that's full of quality. There's a lot of good players still coming through the academy. One of the best academies, uh, you know, in, uh, in Europe, uh, certainly in terms of producing players ready to perform uh, at first team level. Do you think now with uh, this takeover finally being, you know, put behind uh, the club and they can move forward, there is a chance that Leon perhaps emerges, you know, perhaps the strongest and most consistent contender uh to PSG in the future because obviously that's what Techstore and uh and Olas were talking about back in the summer when the big announcement was made. Uh, they did risk uh, you know, things perhaps backfiring given how hairy it got with that takeover actually uh, you know, finally getting over the line. It has reached that point. Uh and now uh, you know, Leon are looking forward to to this new future finally. And it does feel like you know, if they can find that consistency that Andy was talking about, you know, they could be uh, you know, a serious contender for a regular, uh, you know, Champions League qualification and also perhaps, you know, pushing maybe for domestic silverware as well.
3: Yeah, I mean that that's the trick, isn't it? And I think there are quite a few teams in the same boat who want to be that second place team. Obviously they want to be the first place, but I think there's an acceptance that PSG are what PSG are and that it's gonna be difficult to challenge them. But I know, kind of, there's lots of big words coming out of Nice, uh, and the fact that they want to properly challenge um, challenge PSG, but obviously there's a few doubts about their manager, their ownership situation, and does Jim Ratcliffe have eyes for Man United or Liverpool or Chelsea? You know, it's, it's not Chelsea anymore, but it was last last uh, last season. So I think it's it's a difficult one to kind of say that yes, they'll be able to, because I mean, fi- financial means does not necessarily equate to uh, a good good position in the table, and. You look at their team, and I do quite like the look of it. I mean, they went for a kind of bringing the band back together approach in, in the summer, which currently hasn't reached its rewards. But Lacazette is still a great player, and Colin Tantaliso looks like he's coming back as well. And then you look in looking at Cherki, and he's not quite proven, proven things, but he's great over the weekend. And then Kakere was brilliant as well, kind of breaking the lines from a kind of six number eight role. So there's a nice mix at the minute of experience and of youth there, and as you say, they've always it's a conveyor belt there, a bit like Monaco, of always big big talents coming through at that club. So it's it's about kind of keeping hold of some of them for long enough and convincing them of a project and convincing them that they can compete. Um, But I think there's still a lot of question marks. You know, we need to see what kind of owner John Tex is going to be, how much money is going to be invested uh, before we kind of. say that Lyon will have the the financial clout to be able to compete with these big boys. Um, But yeah, I mean, you you can look at Marseille, you can look at Rennes, even Monaco, Nice. um, There's there's just Lille, even, obviously who only won the league a few years ago, who all want to be that second, ideally first-player side. So it's a big race to be that second side, um, but there's no reason why Lyon shouldn't be in it.
1: Well, from one Olympique to another, we'll uh, take a look at Marseille now. Uh, and Matt Spiro was there to witness their 6 1 thrashing of Toulouse.
5: And there it is. Turned home by Valentin Rangier. Marseille get their first goal since the season restarted. Samuel Gigaud raiding forward from the back. Really good work from the centre half and a, a neat finish by Valentin Rangier. Marseille, having not really threatened until this moment. Showing a ruthless streak here, and they are... one goal to the good against Toulouse. Good pressing, though, by Olympique de Marseille, and they've got it back. Alexis Sanchez, bit of space. Threading a ball through. Cengiz Under can't quite get there. The head of the... Oh, it's got it! Oh, a terrible mistake at the back. Nikolaïsa a moment of panic with uh, Marseille's Turkish attacker Under lurking, threatening to get in just behind him. First header goes up in the air, the second over the goalkeeper, and Maxime Dupay can only flap at thin air. It's a disaster, this, for Toulouse. Marseille on the attack, though, here. Oh, a real chance. And it's been almost walked into the net by Sayed Kalazinac. Brilliant composure from the Bosnian. It just opened up for him. And the gaps in that Toulouse defense just got bigger and bigger, and Kalasinac eventually just said, OK, I'll finish this one off myself. Marseille 3, Toulouse nil. It is becoming a romp here. Now, Dimitri Payet. Oh, what a finish that is. Payet joins the party and Marseille go 4-0 up here. It is uh, still Christmas time in the south of France. The evergreen Dimitri Payet keeps on dishing out the presents for the Marseille supporters. It's only a second-league goal last season. Didn't he finish it well after uh, some more build-up play involving Jonathan Close? Yet another assist for the former Lance man, but uh, Payet still with plenty to do, beautifully slotting this one home. Let's just watch this. Perhaps a chance for Toulouse. Is that a foul? Jonathan Close coming back a little bit late, and he has... uh, He's caught Bjalmanjovic right on the edge of the box. A yellow card for close. Branko Vandenboomen from the spot. Vandenboomen stepping up and rifling into the roof of the net. And Toulouse have got one back. They still have a mountain to climb, but restore. Some dignity, at least, with this penalty from Branko van der I'll Marseille with a uh, chance. Bombardieng with a chance. Is that a penalty? Well, he's got in front of the defender. It has to be a penalty. Bomber Dieng had been on the pitch for less than a minute. And he's found himself rampaging through the heart of the Toulouse defence. Good little pass through that from Cengizunda, Mawisa. Well, he uh, committed himself, it was clever from Bombardier. Penalty. Under against Dupay. Cengiz Under drives it low into the bottom corner. And it's five up now for Marseille. Jonathan Close stands it up. Great chance, Nuno Tavares! Yeah. Smashes it into the net. And Marseille have got a sixth. Now, Toulouse, too passive at the back. Jonathan Close with yet another assist from one wing back to the other.
1: All right, so Marseille blasting back into form after the World Cup. 6-1 winners against Toulouse. Obviously a a big, big defeat that for for Toulouse coming straight back in uh, off of the World Cup break. Some superb goals uh, in that game, by the way. Uh, Igor Tudor's men picking up where they left off and you know, looking good to to finally break back into the, the Champions League qualification positions. It's been a, uh, you know, a bit of a tough start to the season. They started very, very well, very strongly. Not too many people expected them to do so well. Then obviously they dropped out of, uh, you know, the Champions League as well. Luke, I'm going to come back to you uh, on this one. Uh, you know, do you think, you know, Mar- do you expect Marseille to really sort of make a, a run now at finishing in those, you know, those top three positions based on the squad that they have? Uh, the, you know the fact that they're out of Europe completely, so you know can focus on what's going on domestically between now and the end of the season.
3: I mean, that's the important point. I think is that there's no European competition now to to distract them. I mean, they really botched that in the final minutes against Tottenham. Obviously, they didn't know that they were in the Europa League places at the time, and then uh, they commit everyone forward and, and concede a last minute uh, goal, which, which dumps them out of all of European competition. I think that's a massive point, and I think it shouldn't be underestimated how much they can now just focus on the league. I didn't back them necessarily to get that top three at the start of the season. They're such a volatile club that as soon as you lose three, four games, it's talk of crisis, it's talk of Igor Tudor's head. It's really hard to to kind of say about Marseille where they're going to be. Even last season, it felt as though they could have just missed out on that. It felt as though the wheels were coming off towards the end, but it just continued through to the end of the season. But they've got a very good squad this year. I mean... Jonathan Klaus and, and Nuno Tavares. Nuno Tavares got a lovely goal, top scoring defender in the league as well, currently with four goals, I believe. I mean, those two wingbacks are probably the most exciting, the most forward-thinking set of wingbacks in the league, even more so than Nuno Mendes and, and Hakimi, I'd say, at, at PSG. Not saying that they're better, but they are more forward-oriented and that's such a, an important part of the modern game is having such confident attacking wingbacks. So that that's a big part as well. So, They've got a good squad. It feels as like though it needs a little bit of work also in, in the in the winter transfer window because there's a lot of talk of a few players going and a few players coming in. So we'll see what what happens there. But um, yeah, really positive signs. And, and just you know, obviously Lionel Messi wasn't here for this game week, but I just thought that I could have been fooled by Said Kolasinski's goal. It's one of the most unbelievable goals. And having seen him so much in the Premier League as well over the years. Did not know he had it in him. I mean, that pass wasn't for him, but the kind of rollover to bring it inside the defender, inside the box, and slot it home so cool is very impressive for, for a defender. Didn't expect him for him. So, um, yeah, quite impressed by that. 6-1, very emphatic, not expected. Um, and now they surely have to be one of the favourites for one of those second or third spots.
1: Well, on the topic of uh, emphatic goals as well, Dimitri Payet back amongst the goals, Andy Scott. Do you think there's, you know, perhaps a glimmer of hope for him uh, getting himself back into contention under uh, under Igor Tudor? Because obviously he's had a difficult start to, you know, to to the season under the, under the new coach. Talismanic last season, you know, fantastic, both domestically and on the continental scene. Uh, you know, but being a bit more of a peripheral character. But, uh, you know, he, he looks like he's, he's motivated coming into this off the back of the World Cup break. Do you think, you know, perhaps... There could be some some life left in uh, in in Payet's uh, Marseille chapter or this current Marseille chapter.
2: I, I hope so because he's such a tremendous player, Dimitri Payet. I mean, I know he's going to be he's going to be 36 in March, so he's not getting any younger. But I mean, we've seen so many players. The World Cup has been a, a great example of of players who can still perform at a really high level well into the 30s. I mean, you know, Dimitri Payet's only a few months older than Lionel Messi. He's he's I think. Um, Younger than Olivier Giroud, he's younger than Luka Modric, so you know he's still got uh, he's still got life in in those legs of his, and and uh, yeah, it was a lovely goal, kind of classic Dimitri Payet curling curling a lovely shot into the net against Toulouse. I think just the second goal of the season, that one. Um, I hope he's got a part to play. I mean, the 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 cup will of course mean that there's more opportunities for more players in in the coming weeks. Does you mean that Marseille go on a little run in that? Um, and and you know he's he he is such an influential character. He's such an inspirational player that it, it we've all found it very strange that Igor Tudor has not wanted to to play him more often now. Obviously, results have have proven Tudor right largely, um, but you know I, th- I think of course he's got a role to play now. Obviously, when Matteo Genduzzi comes back in, and Matteo Genduzzi and Jordan too, who were at the World Cup, were not involved um, at all in in that game if I'm if I'm if I'm not mistaken. So you know when they come back in it may complicate things a little bit for payet doozy tends to play in a more advanced role for marseille doesn't he kind of behind the the main forward so that that might see payet drop out of the team from time to time but you know i think i think generally speaking marseille are, are motoring quite nicely now and if you look at the the last few games since they were knocked out of the champions league three wins three three, ten goals scored had that fine win in Monaco just before the World Cup and when they lost Amin Harriet, of course and it's worth mentioning Amin Harrit, in the context of Dimitri Payet because again that's a player who was playing regularly for Marseille and who's now going to be out for a very long time and that terrible, terrible knee injury which which saw him miss the World Cup with with Morocco and, and means he'll miss uh, a, a lot of the coming months so perhaps again Payet can take advantage of that but yeah, Marseille's recent results are um are very encouraging for them. Is it sorry? I'm really finding this really hard to kind of sort of put everything together because the, the World Cup break has kind of interrupted things to such an extent. But yeah, I mean, I suppose we can put these games together and say they've had three wins in a row either side of the World Cup. And I don't know if that if that constitutes a run of, of, of that that we should really sort of um take into account because the World Cup has interrupted the season for for six weeks. So um Great For them to get back to winning ways on the return, anyway,
1: yeah, absolutely. And
2: uh, I think as well with uh, with, with
1: Toulouse, you know, that's just such a, a big defeat for them. That's it's going to be interesting to see how they bounce back. Obviously, you know, a lot of their approach is uh, is very data driven. And uh, you, were, you mentioned Harit there, you've also got uh, Zachariah uh, you know, who uh caught the eye for Morocco uh, at the World Cup. Uh, he's on uh, TFC's books. Uh, got himself the goal against Belgium, so definitely a player to watch over the second half of the season. All right, well, moving on to Wednesday's action, and we saw Ajaxio moving off the bottom after a 1-0 win over Angers. Yusuf Belaili, the side's driving force, he's got himself four goals and four assists in just 12 games, scoring the only goal of the match from the penalty spot. Now, Luke, I'm going to come to you on this one briefly. Obviously, Angers were, I mean, they were, wildly, uh, you know, a topic of conversation during the World Cup, given how many of their players, uh, you know, really, really uh, impressed, especially as part of this Moroccan side. You've got the likes of Azdi Nounahi, but also uh, Sofiane Bouffal, who were, you know, both key in, uh, in in Morocco reaching the semifinals and ultimately finishing fourth. Uh, you know, do you think that their risks being, you know, this hangover for Angers, because it's something that they can, uh, they can ill afford, you know, the the situation that they're in at the moment. Uh, you know, obviously with an interim manager as well, it's, uh, it, it, it's it's looking fairly bleak. And then you've got the vultures circling, especially for Unahi, who, you know, was one of the revelations of the tournament. Uh, you know, do you think it was, uh, you know, it kind of feels like it was a bit of a six-pointer loss, uh, you know, this one for them against Ajax, yeah?
3: Yeah, I mean, obviously, slap down bottom of, of Liga uh at this time of the year. It, it's weird because, as, as Andy says, it's kind of weird for feeding back into Liga, especially at this time of the year when you're kind of drawing up your mid-season reports. We're not far away from there, but we're not quite at the mid-season. So sometimes I'm having to remind myself that we are actually still relatively <clears throat> relatively early into the season. But I do worry for Angers, as I say, bottom. And the fact that they've gone through the whole international break and not brought in a new manager, but as Brest have as, as well, they they've, are also still managed managerless. Um, it feels like an odd decision from a management point of view to go six weeks and, and not bring in an opponent manager or say, right, we're going for this guy on the interim um, because it has not yet been that declaration as far as I've seen. Uh, and then Unahi, Bufal, both of them look like they're going to go. Uh, Unahi in particular was was absolutely brilliant uh, and he did catch eye in the Egan as well prior to the World Cup as well. Uh, so I think there's major problems for, for André who are going to lose arguably almost certainly their best two players who actually lost quite a few big players also in the summer, and maybe we didn't pay enough attention to to how important you know someone like Ali Cho was, um, and and say that you know that was actually quite a big loss in hindsight, and they didn't really necessarily replace them. So you can argue that they didn't have a league standard squad going into the start of the season, and then you lose your best two players, you're going into the new year managerless, you're bottom at the table. I mean, it, it doesn't look good for them, and and I, I do think they're going to really struggle, and you know. We'll see how that money is reinvested if they get a lot of money, especially Funai, who seems to be coveted by absolutely every European club at the minute. And if that's reinvested, and how that's reinvested, maybe that'll give them a bit of impetus uh, going into the new year. But we'll wait and see on that one.
1: Yeah, now on the topic of uh, managerial changes as well, you had Patrick Kisnorbo making uh, his debut with uh, Troyes, uh, a goalless draw against Nantes for, for his match in charge. Uh, and then uh, moving on to Thursday's action, you've got Hans uh, under Will Still. Uh, obviously, uh, you know we've spoken at length already on the show about uh, you know sort of his uh, rapid rise and the the role that football manager, Championship manager back in the day, uh, you know played uh, in uh, in that fantastic rise. And as you mentioned, Luke, you've got Brest and Angers, uh, you know both without sort of permanent managerial uh, fixtures. Uh, so you know we'll we'll have to wait and see if they opt. You know, perhaps uh, you know for the consistency as Hans did uh, with Will Still, and uh, you know sticking with the the interim manager Montpellier did the same as well with Homann uh, Pito. Uh, but uh, you know, a, a World Cup hangover of sorts as well for Ren. Uh, you know, losing to uh, to Hans that was uh, that was unexpected. So uh, it will be interesting to see how Bruno Genesio gets uh, gets his players uh, to pick themselves up and dust themselves down because they were. Uh, you know looking good uh, for for Champions league contention so they'll be hoping to to pick themselves up and continue their good form or rediscover their good form over the second half of the season don't forget you can find us on twitter at leaguegunworld World, gun underscore eng email us leaguegunpocast at gmail.com the website of course leaguegun.com so like subscribe follow recommend it's time for a bit of fan mail now Hi Le Just wanted to say that I look forward to hearing your match recaps and analysis of Ligan after a long break. This week's matches do have many a talking point. One of the best football podcasts out there. Best, Cameron. Lovely to hear from you, Cameron. Thanks so much for reaching out. This podcast has been a highlight of my week. So I just wanted to say thanks. Sending you my best wishes and positive vibes from Sydney, your other Aussie pal, Davorty. Of course, uh, Robbie is absent today, but he will be back on Uh, In the coming weeks. Uh, Greetings. I'm learning French to show my devotion to PSG and its supporters. But I have one question. What is an iconic, beloved French language sitcom like Only Fools and Horses or Seinfeld? Thanks, Stephen. Now, that is, uh, you know, getting into, you know, very risky territory. Uh, having to speak positively about any of the sitcoms that are on french tv uh having been having lived here for over 10 years i can say that you can probably count the number of them on one hand but i'll open it up to to andy scott if he's got any uh, suggestions
2: i i i i mean <clears throat> i spent all my time watching league 1, so i couldn't possibly couldn't possibly name a, a favorite a favorite uh, sitcom i mean one thing i would say is that <laughs> i think you'd be a little bit harsh i think there's a lot of very good um very good TV and and uh, and film made in France and uh, my I mean one thing that makes me laugh is the burger quiz which is on TMC on on late at night sometimes on um, on but Channel Ten in France which always I think it's Alain Chabat, who's the presenter of that it's not it's not a, it's not a sitcom it's a, it's like a stupid panel show which uh, sometimes makes me laugh but I don't have a a favourite I mean they don't it's not the same. Tradition for making sitcoms as there is in in the UK, I would say, but but there is some very good French comedy. Don't 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 do it down completely. Luke, anything to add?
3: <laughs> no, I mean, prior to the pod, we were talking about N'oubliez pas les paroles, which is um, kind of a, a karaoke esque TV reality show. I'm not sure if I necessarily recommend it, but for French learning, which seems to be a requisite for this recommendation, it's not too bad because you get in the subtitles in French along the bottom, and uh, then you are getting someone singing two words to a song to a, to a live band in a big packed studio. Not the best TV, but for, for French learning, actually, actually pretty good.
1: Well, I have both of you down as uh, La Maudits dans le Pré" uh, fans, so uh, disappointed that didn't get a I shout. T- I, tell out, what, I tell you I tell
2: what. I tell you what. I have what I have watched, and, and I should, probably shouldn't admit this, but I've never I've never watched La Maudits <laughs> dans le Pré." But there is. Um, I can't remember what it's called now, but La Moridonne Play is on is on MCs, right? Which is a channel in France which um, reproduces a lot of these types of reality shows, which you see perhaps on British TV. There is another one. I think it's called Mario Pommier Regard, right? So so you get <laughs> you get couples. <laughs> Yeah, couples who agree to get married to somebody they've never met before, and I think this is a format taken from uh, <laughs> from possibly from British TV. I, I don't know because it's is it's fifteen years since I left the UK. I'm not sure what's going on there half the time. That's another issue, but uh, it's 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 this ridiculous program where two people who've never met each other get married, and I have watched that with my wife, and I have to say that it is it is quite funny. It's not it's not a comedy, but it is quite funny to see what happens. So you could also watch that. There you go. So I I don't just watch Liga. I do also watch MCs uh, occasionally on a Monday night when there's no Liga on. And there you have it
1: from <laughs> Les Bourgeois Culture Vultures. Time for a bit of Deja Vu now. Well, first of all, we left you with two chances to win a Liga jersey, and the first was via November's Deja Vu. And the answers were Jean-Pierre Papin, Costinha and Kingsley Coman, who all won the Champions League by beating their former club in the final. Papin beat Marseille with Milan in 1994. Costinha beat Monaco with Porto in 2004. And Coman beat PSG with Bayern in 2020. So the winner is Davo Tokakovic, who got everything right. And the second chance was to predict the France starting 11 for their game against Australia in the World Cup. And Michel Ma got it 100% correct. and even predicted a 3-0 score with Mbappe on the score sheet. So lost a point for not thinking Australia were capable of scoring, but he still gets the shirt. Congratulations to both of our winners. Robbie will be in touch. And now on to our first Deja Vu of the new year. And remember to go into the draw to win a league on jersey at the end of each month. You have to answer each week's Deja Vu as well as the bonus questions. So here we go. A champion in my homeland, my first stop in Europe was in Italy, where I helped my club to its first silverware in over 20 years. I earned a move to France where I won every possible domestic trophy over the next four years. Final transfer away from France saw me continue to play for another four seasons, reportedly becoming the best paid player in the world for hanging up my boots. I remain something of a cult figure with the fans, of my one and only Lee Gun club. So, who am I and where did I end my career and with which former Lee Gun players as teammates? And if you think that you know who it is, then send your answers via email to Lee Gun Podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> Right, And now moving on to the definitive discussion of the greatest of all time. Obviously, unfortunately, this is quite pertinent given the recent loss of Pele, but you've got Lionel Messi picking up the World Cup with Argentina in Qatar. You've got Diego Maradona in there. And do we have potentially Kylian Mbappe entering into the frame as well? I think you've got all these different things that you compare. You've got the three World Cups, two of them back-to-back and the all-time goal record, however dubious that might be, uh, held by Pele. And you've got the one World Cup, 16 years of incredible club stats with Lionel Messi. And then you've got the one World Cup, but overall, probably the biggest uh, and most dynamic impact, uh, certainly in terms of sort of a cultural significance that is boasted by Diego Maradona as well. You've got... Ruud Hullet, you know, sort of going about it by saying that you've got Pele the greatest of his age, as was Maradona, as was Messi. So Mbappe surely now the favourite to be the greatest of his age as well. So we will get into that right now.
3: Yeah, it's always so risky. It's such a a toxic debate, isn't it? I don't like those kind of intergenerational kind of comparisons. So it's kind of a bit of an easy out. But I do feel as though Messi has easily been the best of this generation, and that's not been dependent on him winning the World Cup with Argentina. Let's make that clear. I mean, uh, for many years now, it's felt as though Messi, uh, you know, Ronaldo is an incredible kind of physical specimen uh, and has scored prodigious amounts of goals wherever he's gone until you know an old age. But at the same time, I I've always been more on the Messi camp, just because he does things that I've not seen done on on a football pitch during this era that I, I've been watching football. Um, but yeah, I, I will not necessarily, um, you know, compare it to a Maradona or a Pele. I mean, I was, I've, of course, loads of videos of Pele have been going around since his death and it's it's incredible to see how much the, the game of football has changed as well. You know, even from just a very visual element of how awful those pitches are, you know, Pele to have that level of control and, and master, mastery of the ball, on such awful, you know, rugged pitches, you know, when nowadays are so smooth, you know, it, it's a completely different skill entirely and, and something that I think needs to be taken into account. But yeah, for me, Messi, not dependent on him winning the World Cup, but the way that he won that World Cup and he was so central to it, that was really Messi FC winning that World Cup, it, it felt, especially after after the group stage where it felt as though he just carried them over the line. Um, it's, it's, it's a huge achievement and he's now won everything there is to win. So, Messy for me, but um, not necessarily ranking him. Not necessarily comparing him directly to a Pele or a or a Maradona.
2: Andy, can I chime in? I, th- I think I think there is. Yeah, I think Luke has said a lot of things that I would agree with. I mean, uh, listen, Pele. We are all far too young to remember Pele, so it's difficult for us to comment properly. And in a way, it's hard to compare. And, and I suppose one thing you might say is that, of course, as as time goes on, football. Um, advances, develops, and you might say football is more sophisticated, played at a higher pace. Now, generally, um, the level at the very top of the sport might be higher, but I mean, I'm, I'm not really sure that that's really fair to say that. I mean, um, there is there is a, a a colleague of mine, a fellow Scotsman, Andrew Downey, who's, who's based in Brazil, um, does a lot of great work down there and, and wrote a fantastic book about the Brazil 1970 team called The Greatest Show on Earth. And I know that he would say that any any suggestion that Pele is not the greatest player of all time, um, he he would not agree with. So there is clearly an argument, and and Pele of course is such a an iconic figure. I I actually I actually met Pele in twenty. I forgot about this, and then remembered last night. I actually met Pele in twenty fourteen in Paris, just before the the Brazil World Cup. He came here on the on the World Cup trophy tour, and I was I was told to go and interview him. And uh, I, I mean, he was fantastic. You know, he because a lot of these people that you meet, I have to say this: if you meet um, really important people, let's say in football, they might give you the impression they don't really, <clears throat> they don't really appreciate having to give you a couple of minutes of their time. But Pelle was really smiley and 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 happy to meet me and my colleagues. And you know, he shook my hand and looked me in the eye and all these things. They might not seem very significant. But but they kind of were, and 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 he was he was fantastic for the few minutes that he spoke to us, um and and it was it was a real pleasure to meet him and something obviously I'm never going to forget. But if you're asking me who's who's the greatest player of all time, I I, I am I suppose likely to to suggest Messi because he means so much to me. You know, I mean, I I was just about old enough to remember Maradona at the tail end of his career, um but that was in the difficult days for him. But with Messi, you know, I I I mean, I. I was living in Barcelona when he when he came through as a Barcelona player. I was lucky enough to see him make his debut, to see him score his first goal for them. And to, to I was lucky enough to commentate his first goal for Paris Saint-Germain. And I was lucky enough to be there at the Lucelle Stadium last week to see him win the World Cup. And there's something about his story which is so enchanting. He might not be the same personality and character as Maradona and Pelé, but goodness me, he's he's he is a wonderful, wonderful footballer. And um you know is he better than Pele? I don't know. we'll never know, but he he is just an absolutely marvelous player and he's and he's he's still going and and it's going to be great to see him come back to to this city. I'm sitting here in Paris in the cold and rain in this December morning, and he's going to be back here in 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 a few days and playing in league 1 again and I think we just need to enjoy uh seeing Messi for the last for the the the, the last months and years of his career because whether he is the greatest of all time, I don't know, but he's certainly the greatest player with all due respect to Cristiano Ronaldo and one or two others. He is the greatest player of, of his generation. And 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 although you might say that winning the World Cup <clears throat> is not necessarily uh, the be-all and end-all in terms of defining how great a player is, you look at Johan Cruyff, I think uh, in terms of his generation, in terms of what he has achieved in his career, absolutely crowns his career winning that World Cup. And, and um, you know, e- even the French people I say this as a French citizen myself. I think even the French people have to be, despite the fact they missed out on winning a second successive World Cup, I think a lot of them will be very pleased to see Lionel Messi finally get his hands on the trophy because it does cap his incredible career.
3: There's quite an active debate, I felt, in France. Obviously, I, I left on the day of the World Cup, actually, to go back to the UK, but it felt as though there was a very active debate of, um, you know, some people did genuinely want, you know, French people did genuinely want Messi to win it. And I think, you know, there's an element of He's enamoured the the Parisian and, and the French public during his very short time in, in Liga. Uh so I I think there's um yeah a bit of a cultural debate there and obviously David Trezeguet came out in favour saying that I'm French but I obviously he's got Argentinian parents but I want Argentina to win this World Cup because of Lionel Messi. And, you know now that he's won it, I mean I, I think Andy touched on a, an interesting point of what do we see now from Messi because if he's not been unleashed before now he certainly is, there's no mental burden of the one thing I've not won it looks like he's going to be staying another year past the end of the season as well judging by reports so I think that's quite a frightening prospect for the rest of Liga, and kind of builds into the whole you know we're talking about Leon. can they be best of the rest but you know everyone is fighting to be best of the rest especially I think whilst, whilst Lionel Messi is at the club yeah absolutely
1: and who knows maybe we are witnessing the early years with Kylian Mbappe of the uh, of the next great but uh, I certainly agree with you guys Lionel Messi The greatest player of my lifetime uh, so far. Well, let's uh, move on and look ahead now to the 17th round of games. Got some key fixtures coming up. You've got Lens against PSG. You've got Monaco against Brest. You've got Montpellier against Marseille. You've also got Rennes against Nice. So, plenty to look forward to. let's go on a, a little bit of a trip around France with a bon voyage. And I'm going to come to you, Andy first and see where you see yourself going in the 17th round of games.
2: <laughs> well, I'll be, I'll be commentating Lyon against Clermont. So I, I'll, you know, that will be very much my, my focus on new year's day. Were I not doing that? I think I would very obviously be taking a trip to the Stade uh, de l'Elysse for the Lance Paris Saint-Germain game, because it's got all the ingredients, doesn't it? I mean, um, you know a fantastic atmosphere under the floodlights new year's day and um the, a meeting of the top two and and i think one thing actually we haven't really touched on uh, and if, if you'll permit me a few a few moments just to talk about this is of course the very fact that we are playing league and football at the moment in this period between christmas and new year um and um and and i, I don't even know if i can get in a little coup de girl at this stage in in the podcast but <clears throat> of course we keep talking Cele- about
1: celebration it. celebration week, not to your Ce- liking,
2: Andy. Well, so, well, celebration week is how it's been branded by the league, of course. But I think that the more generally how the how the, the the media have have branded this as uh, Boxing Day à la française, right? Now, first of all, there were no games on Boxing Day. I quite like quite like to make that point clear. Um, and <laughs> and and the thing is, the thing about this is that they, they, there is this sort of catch-all expression in France. We talk about playing football over this period of the year, and they talk about Boxing Day. Now, the thing is that it is not just Boxing Day when football is played, it's over the whole festive period. And that is a tradition which has existed where I come from in Scotland and and in England for, for many, many generations. And, in fact, they used to play football on Christmas Day in Scotland, and I think in England as well, going way, way back. So this is a thing that happens, but it's not a thing that happens in France. And, obviously, we've seen... Um, some less-than-kind uh, reactions from some supporters' groups and even some uh, actors within the game itself as as to having to play matches at this time of year. Of course, it's because of the World Cup. But, um, you know, I think it's a new thing. We'll see if it's a one-off. But I quite enjoyed going to the party prance on Wednesday night to to get my, my league and fix. I don't know about you, Jonathan. <laughs> and I think playing on New Year's Day at Lens under the floodlights on Sunday night should be fantastic. I'm not so sure about playing on Monday in the afternoon, whether the, the fans will be too pleased about that, because Monday the 2nd is just a regular working day in France. But first of January, Sunday night, Lens, that's the place to be.
1: Yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't mind it too much, uh, you know, coming back and getting straight back into the football. Uh, you know, whether or not it becomes a, a permanent thing, we will see. Anyway, Luke, I'm going to come to you now. You, you're tempted by the gellet Saucis at Hain uh, at, at uh, for, for Nice, or are you looking somewhere else?
3: No, that was that was again that I had my eye on. Obviously, it's in the headline slot as well. But that's a, a really interesting fixture with Ren obviously coming off the back of that loss. We didn't really get the chance to speak about Nice, but you know how much can you say about uh, a relatively drab 0-0 draw against Lance? Um But interesting to see how they do in this not quite second half of the season, but how they how they do in twenty twenty three. Uh, they need to really make a, a proper shoot up that table um, because uh currently their current table position does not reflect their squad and, and their capabilities. So I think that's a huge match for, for both sides. I think if, if Ren lose that, I think uh, a little bit of negativity is kind of starts to set in and, you know, start to doubt their capacity maybe to get that Champions League sport. Uh, but equally for Nice, you know, every match uh, they really need to be getting three points just to kind of build up a bit of momentum towards those, at least those European places. But also, you know, the Mediterranean derby, you know, Montpellier-Marseille, that, that's also the, the capability for quite an interesting time. And, it's nice nice fresh new year's day at the Stade louis de for for michaelbles to 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 kick things off as well yeah very well put
1: and since the guys have taken the best options for the bon voyage, I think I'm actually going to go to strasbourg i, I felt a bit sorry for them uh, the other day against p s g because I do think they merited at least a point you've got players missing uh, and I am missing my uh my my pretzel, so I'll look forward to that on the, the 2nd of January against Troyes because I'm also keen to see how Patrick Kisnorbo does. Obviously, uh, made a, a solid, if unspectacular start with that goalless draw against Nantes. But uh, I've I've got my fingers crossed that Strasbourg can find some form uh, in the new year and move themselves away from the, the bottom of the table. So uh, I'll be there checking out uh, that match in the round of 17. Uh, and that just about uh, wraps things up for for us guys uh thank you very much to to both andy and luke for for jumping on the unusual timing of round seventeen is celebration weekend so that, thus, the exceptional Tuesday arrival of the next episode of the podcast. Don't forget to find us on Twitter at Ligan World, Ligan underscore ENG. Email us at LiganPodcast at gmail.com. Website, of course, at Ligan.com. So like, subscribe, follow, recommend. And we'll see you next time. Cheers.
0: Delivery. Here's an opportunity, Sanchez. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Go back! Messi again,
2: this time maybe Messi's done it!